I've been gone a while, and uh, wow, <laughs> wow. Uh, how many of you have you know maybe that uh, it's like a spiritual song, "Give Me Jesus." I think there's a guy like Danny Gokey or something like that has sing it recently. In the morning when I rise, anybody? Give me. All right, right. And then the chorus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, right? But give me. All right, how many of us have sung this song before? Not counting just now. Okay, how many of us have sung our own version? When I need a parking spot, give me Jesus, right? How many? Raise your hand. Yeah, we've sung it. Jesus, the Lord of parking, right? What about, uh, I've sung this one recently. When I need my son to nap, give me Jesus. Anybody? Anybody? All right. I know at least two people can, can relate to this. When I'm fighting off jet lag, give me Jesus. Anybody? All right? Yeah, yeah. So, all right, that's, that's kind of, we've, what we've done is we've taken Christ from who and what he truly is, what he's actually done, and we've put, we've, we've like turned him into a genie. We've made him, instead of the object of our faith, the saving object of our faith, and we've turned him into this deliverer, like an ATM almost. Like if we put in enough good, he'll bless us with something or something. What we've done is we've, <coughs> we've altered the image of Christ. But the text today, we're in uh, Colossians ver- chapter 1, verse 19. And uh, so go ahead and turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat back in front of you. It's on page 983 is where we're going to be today. And I'm going to do something a little bit weird maybe. Uh, this weekend is the first time I've ever, I've ever done this. But this passage of Scripture is so powerful and more, I'm going to say it, I'm going out on a ledge, it's more inspired than any song we've ever sung in church. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, if you're able, would you stand with me in honor of what we're about to read? (coughs) We're going to start in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by the blood, bringing peace by the blood of his cross. You may be seated. Thank you for that. I don't know if you can tell, I am super stoked on this text. When they asked me, hey, can you do this? I was like, yes. I was so ready because this is like, pound for pound, I think this is probably the most glorious text about Christ in the Bible. 
Like, I think of Colossians as one of the most intense books. I say, like, Ephesians is Colossians add water, right? Like, this is such a concentrated, powerful, life-transforming, life-altering, packed text of who Christ is. So we're going to start. I've entitled the, the, the sermon, Give Me Jesus. This is the text, so I've just read a bit of it for you. We're going to start in the first half, Colossians 1.19. And uh, if you don't have this text memorized by the end of the sermon probably not paying attention, okay? Just going to put it out there. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We're going to look at verse 19, and then we're going to look at verse, what comes after 19? Yes, you guys are tracking. This is good. You've had your coffee. I like this, okay? But the first verse we're going to look at, 19, we're going to call it glory of Christ. So we're going to look at the transcendent supernatural glory of who Christ is per the scripture. And then the second half, we're going to move from God's identity into God's activity. And so then we're going to talk about the gospel of Christ. So the first half, the glory of Christ. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I'm going to give you a theological pro tip. The first words we're going to look at are in him. When we say him, you know who we're referring to? Yes, very good, very good. Four of you knew that. So when we say in him, we're talking about Christ, the image of the invisible God, the one who's preeminent over all creation, that guy, right? Okay, so we're going to talk about him. So in Christ, pro tip, anytime you see a preposition paired with Christ or a pronoun referring to Christ, I know it's kind of nerdy, but bear with me, pro tip, drill down. And this is what I mean. First two, after four, we have, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You will see multiple truths, deep truths, about your Christianity when you find a preposition, so a word denoting location, paired with a form or the word Christ or God. What I mean by this is we have 14 different times we see something like this in Colossians. Today, we're going to see God's identity In Christ, fullness of God was pleased to do all. And we're going to see God's activity. Through him, through Christ, God's fullness was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of Christ. Does that make sense? Identity, activity. I'm talking fast, I know. I'll slow down for you. But this is what we have. I've come up with 14, just reading through Colossians once. They're not in your notes, and this is why. Go home and find them yourself. Right? This is, this is such a rich study, and this is such a rewarding study. I'm going to let you do your own study. You're welcome. All right? But here are the 14. I'll read them to you. Starting in chapter 1, verse 4. He's the saving object of our faith. Verse 14. He's the beloved son in whom we as Christians have redemption. Verse 19. The fullness of God, like we just saw, dwells in him. Verse 22, we're reconciled to God in the body of Christ. Verse 28, he is the source and substance of our spiritual maturity. Chapter 2, verse 2, we have our full understanding of God's mystery revealed to us through Christ. Verse 3, all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Verse 5 again, he's the saving object of our faith. If he says it more than once, don't miss it, it's important. Verse 6, we're commanded to walk and be rooted and built up in Christ. Verse 9, fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ. Verse 10, we've been filled in, very good, we're tracking. Verse 11, we've been circumcised spiritually in, good. He, Christ, is the substance of all things spiritual. 
In chapter 3, verse 3, we've been hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life. Do, do you want me to keep going? That's just 14 right there. Now tell me, of those 14, which of those was blasé, surface level, doesn't really change our life or our view of our Christianity truths? Right now, of those 14, how many would you say are deep theological truths that guide and change our lives on a regular basis? 14. You see what I'm saying? So anytime you see a preposition paired with Christ or a, or a pronoun denoting Christ or the word God, drill down on it. Isolate it in its context and see what exactly Paul or the author under the inspiration of the Spirit of God is telling you, the believer, about your relationship, your identity in him. Good? All right, that's really all I have for that. So um, uh, in Christ, we're going to see in this particular passage, God's identity in verse 19. So in Christ, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The Greek word for fullness is a fun word, and we're all going to say it together in a second here. It's pleroma. Say it with me. Pleroma. That was a good start. We're going to say it again. Pleroma. Think play and Roma, right? But not Roma, Roma, okay? Play Roma. Say it with me. You guys are good, man. Greek scholars. Okay, so what this denotes, fullness of God, is the sum total. We're talking completeness. The lexicon even goes so far as to say a super abundance. So picture, we're all, uh, nope, don't use that one. Okay, okay, picture a giant, like, duffel bag, right? Full, so full of money, like gold coins, that it's like tearing at the seams and spilling over the top. That's pleroma. That's fullness. Anything lacking in that duffel bag full of gold coins? No, nothing. It's completely full. Everything is there. In theological terms, we would call this glory language. Because it takes Christ and it reveals him as he really is. It glorifies him. It adds weight to his name and his person. It sets him up and above all things. It denotes the glory of Christ. He is, get this, fully man and fully God. There's not just an aspect of God in Christ. There's not simple characteristics of God in Christ. There aren't aspects of God or partial essences of God in Christ. No, 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 no. The fullness of God. Every bit of creator, sustainer, obviously, redeemer, judge, jury, every bit of God is found in Christ. Now that kind of makes sense because you got to ask the question, how else could Jesus calm the storm? How else could Jesus raise the dead? How else could Jesus heal the leper? How else could Jesus make the lame walk? How else could Jesus live a perfect life? How else could Jesus cast out demons, walk on water? How else could Jesus be raised from the dead if he wasn't fully God, the author of life? He couldn't. So when I'm talking about Jesus, we don't picture like dogma, who's your buddy, Jesus, right? We don't picture the stick it on your dashboard and he, his robe flows when you turn, Jesus. 
When we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about G.I. Joe, Kung Fu, Grip, Jesus. We're talking about the author and creator of all things, who created all things for his good pleasure. How many of us have gone camping, because you can't do it in the city, and just stared on your back at night, I'm not going to look into the lights again, and try to see the end of the universe? How many of us have, in doing that, tried to count the stars? You can do that in Riverside on one hand. But when you get out into nature, how many of you have, how many of you have counted the sum total of the stars? Yeah, exactly. God spoke that into existence. The fullness of God who spoke that into existence dwells bodily in Christ. He's the object of our faith. So the fullness of God. Anything lacking? Do I need to go on? Are we clear? Are our minds blown yet? Okay, good. All right. The fullness of God dwelling in and working through him, Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't just a happenstance coincidence that the fullness of God dwelled in Christ. No, 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 no. It was pleased to dwell in Christ. It wasn't tricked. It wasn't swindled. It didn't lose a bet. Jesus didn't, through a series of good deeds or some sort of accumulation of secret knowledge, attain deity. No, Jesus is deity. The Greek word for pleased is eudikeo. You want to say that one with me? Eudikeo. Man, you guys are good. All right, so what this means is to consider good, to consent, to determine, I like this one, to resolve or to will. So a really good, I think, translation of this is, and the fullness of God willed to dwell in him. Does that kind of change it a little bit? Pleased almost sounds passive, right? You want to? Uh, sure. No, no, no. The fullness of God willed, chose, determined, resolved to dwell in Christ. It wasn't tricked. Jesus didn't, didn't get this by some attainment. Jesus didn't become God because he died on a cross. Jesus died on a cross because he is God. Now I want to give us an opportunity, right? Just sit back in this. Bask in this knowledge. Maybe if you have to, stand up and celebrate this knowledge that Jesus Christ, our only hope, is the only one worth hoping in. That's our Christ. Just take a second. I'm getting goosebumps, and this is like the third time I've said this, spoken this. Every time I think about this, like the grand scale of who Christ actually is surpasses my human comprehension. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just some crazy guy who's willing to give his life up for some cause. He's not just some guy who could have been a king over an earthly temporary kingdom. He is God incarnate. He is the image of the invisible God. 
by him and through him and for him were all things created. That's Jesus. That's somebody who you could go to his feet, lay down your life, and say, you can have all the world. I just want more of you. That's Jesus. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now the first two words I want to point out here, you should see this coming, in the gospel of Christ is through Christ. I made that such a big deal about the prepositions and the thing, nobody should have expected me to skip over this. Did anybody expect me to skip over this? Good. Okay. You guys are such a good group, man. You're so spiritual. You come to the 930 because you wake up at 4 and spend five hours in prayer, huh? That's you guys. All right. And the people on Facebook Live watching right now, it's because they're still praying. Am I right? Yeah. All right. So, but this is the understanding we need, to under, we need to have. Because the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, it was thus able to work through him. The teaching of scripture is clear. The only way anyone can be reconciled or made right or have a correct right relationship with God is through Christ. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by or but through me. He is the door. So we need to understand, in and through Christ, God displays himself as never before. You think of all the Old Testament passages, the Leviticus 16 about the scapegoat. You think about the sacrificial laws. You think about how everything in the tabernacle and temple had to be purified by the blood. You think of the grain offerings. You think of the bull offerings. You think of the the lamb offerings. You think of all the festivals and all of the, the, the times they had to do things and doves and all this kind of stuff. They were all signposts to what was to come. All of every prophecy ever prophesied in this book points to Christ. Every hope anyone ever had in happiness, joy, peace, fulfillment, contentment beyond this life and in this life is found in the hope of Christ. Fully God, fully man. And it is through Christ that God chose to work and dwell to make us right with him. Now when I say uh, that he's, he's doing this in a way that's never been done before, this is what I'm talking about. And through him to reconcile to himself, what does it say? All things, whether on earth or in heaven. We are not talking about, for God so loved him so much that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world. We're talking cosmic reconciliation. Big words, right? God is at work to redeem and make right all things. After all, Psalm 24, 1, right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns it all. From us here this morning, singing his praises, raising our hands, going to get the invitation cards after the service, proclaiming his glory to the bookie in the back room in New Jersey who doesn't understand that he's going to have to atone to God for what he's done with the life God gave him. God owns it all, and he is at work to redeem it all. 
all of creation, God cares for, tends, sustains, and is at work to reconcile. So think about this. If God so cares about the bird of the air, if God so cares about the flowers of the field, how much more does he care for you? His image bearer. The crowning achievement of all of creation. How much more does God deeply care and love you? He loves you so much that he was willing to come in the form of Christ, fully God, fully man, live a life facing every trial and every temptation that we will ever face in our lives, overcoming, living a perfect life, and then ultimately making peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus Christ stepping in to take our place. Blood was required. A sacrifice was needed. Christ was willing. Think about that. We broke the relationship. We plunged everything into broken and fallenness. We deserve hell. But God in his love and his foresight and foreknowledge in Christ came to make peace with us. Not because he needed to. Not because he had to. Because he wants to. Making peace by the blood of his cross. And guys, this is no temporary peace simply bought by the blood of some lamb we sacrificed that only lasts a year. No, 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 no. This is an eternal peace and rightness of relationship with God bought by the shepherd. Right? This is no peace that shifts like the sand because it's not founded on anything or purchased by anything other than earthly wisdom. No, 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 no. This is an eternal peace that surpasses all understanding that was given to us by the blood of Christ. And when I say peace, I don't mean like no conflict. I, I mean a right relationship with God so that no matter what conflict you're in, no matter what trouble, trial, tribulation, or other word that starts with a T that means bad things you're in the midst of, you know that you have a right relationship with God through Christ, and in that you find peace. That's peace. This peace that surpasses all of our understanding. I think of uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Let me flip there real quick. Uh, this is talking about Old Testament sacrifice and how Christ is better than that. And so in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, um, he says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, get this, there's no forgiveness of sins. Let that settle. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. 
nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he's appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. If you've truly seen Christ for the glory that he, he is, if you've truly seen him as fully God and fully man, if you've truly encountered the life-altering truth that truly does change your life when you come to that knowledge and understand that in light of all of that, he thought of that as nothing to be grasped, but came to earth and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, because you needed somebody to step in and take your place and take your punishment because he loves you, no matter what you go through in this life, you eagerly await the day you get to step from this into eternity, into the presence of the nations and saints singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who has come. For all of eternity, getting to bask in the glory of his presence as he is. How can you not eagerly await that? Guys, this isn't just something we think about and sing about on Sundays. This is something that should change our life every day. This is something that's not just something for some people to think about. It's offered to everyone. God is at work to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven. All nations, one day, gathering around the throne in glory. A number so grand we couldn't even count. All nations clear call of God's heart for every man, woman, and child on this earth to know this truth. It begs the question, all this is cool, um, how, can we, how can we just stand here and, and talk about this and then uh, just leave and then go back to our daily grind? I want you to understand the scale and the scope of this spirit-inspired text. This changes everything. This changes how we pray. It's no longer, Lord, if I could get a spot right next to the handicapped parking, that'd be great, thanks. This is no longer a prayer of, Lord, this and this and this, I need you to take care of this. No, 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 no. We no longer pray telling God how big our problems are. Because of our encounter with the risen king, we pray celebrating that he's bigger than any trial we will ever face in our life. This changes how we pray. This changes even how we read our Bibles. For some of us, maybe encountering this Christ, we'll actually read our Bibles. We'll actually understand. So you're telling me that God in Christ saves my life reconciles me to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross, calls me to a life, and I can learn in detail about what that looks like and even better truths and more truths in this book, why wouldn't I read this? This changes how we even read our Bibles. Ultimately, though, this should change how we live our lives. This should change how we interact with others. If you've truly encountered the risen king, fully God, fully man, 
pleased to dwell. And you've truly understood that through him, the fullness of God wants to reconcile all things on earth or in heaven to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. You can't help but love him. And if you truly love him because you've seen that truth, you know what's going to happen? It's going to change the way you live. You're going to start living for him. And if you're truly living for him, you know what you're going to do? You're going to start sharing him. Take Jesus out of the box. He'd never fit in it in the first place. We're called to love, live, and share Christ. What better opportunity than this Easter season when literally we're not telling you to go into the world and make disciples. We're telling you to go into your neighborhood and hand out invitations. Invite friends. This risen king, this truly glorious God. I think of reconciliation and I think of another text. I think this is becoming my life text. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this. One died for all, therefore all died. And you know why? He died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And it's because of this that we no longer recognize anyone according to the flesh. We did at one point recognize Christ according to the flesh, but in this way we see him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, guess what? He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. How grand is that? Now, all these things are from Christ, who reconciled us to himself and gave us, get this, the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what does that look like, Tim? I'm glad you asked. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins or trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Be reconciled, we beg you, to God. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. It changes how we live. It changes everything. And so I ask you, with this kind of knowledge, this life-transforming truth, how can we at any point not lay down our lives at his feet every day and say, you can have all this world. Give me Jesus. How can we not, with this life-transforming truth and knowledge of who Christ is, not go to him and say, have your will with my life? In light of who God is, we need to understand that when we lay down our lives at Christ's feet and say, you can have all this world, give me Jesus, we're not dying. For the first time in our lives, we're living. You can have all this world. You can have my comfort. You can have my relationships. You can have any form of wealth I might have had in another life maybe. Give me Jesus. You can have my American dream. You can have my house and white picket fence. You can have my cars. Give me Jesus. If you're here today and maybe you've never seen Christ like that, 
Maybe for the first time upon seeing the truth of who Jesus Christ is, you're sitting there going, yeah, give me that. I want that. In a second, we're going to have people up at the front who would be more than willing to tell you how to get that. More than willing to pray with you so that you can get that. And maybe if you're here today and and you remember when you prayed a prayer or got baptized or or you've been a Christian, but you've never seen Christ quite like that, I would encourage you just with this. You weren't not a Christian before today. But every day in our walk with Christ should take us deeper. And so maybe, maybe you got some new truth today that will alter your life too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are before you in awe of what you've done, who you are. Christ, we are overwhelmed by your majesty. You're far more glorious than we could ever imagine or hope. And Lord, we realize how deep our need for you is. Whether we've known you for years or today's the first day, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would alter <coughs> our, our, our lives, that it would no longer be a Sunday morning kind of religion, but that it would affect every day that ends with why. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that would desire you, that you would give us minds that think on you, and that you would give us mouths and hands to speak your praise. Would you move in us? And would you move through us? It's in your name we pray.